morning, church. If you, ha- if you have your Bibles today, uh, you can open to Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We are in a battle that is raging. This is a battle that goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is a battle between heaven and hell, life and death. And in this battle, either you will overcome evil with good or evil will overcome you. In our text this morning, in Romans 12, verses 14 to 21, the Apostle Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing, you will heap burning coals on his heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're just going to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this Sunday evening that we can gather together. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of your word. Your word says the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word abides forever. We pray, Lord, that as we hear your word, we pray, Lord, that it it might not fall on hard hearts, but help it fall on fertile soil that may bear much fruit for your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to, to not come to your word and go back the same way but father we pray lord that you would your grace would teach us to deny ungodliness that you would teach us to live upright sober in this wicked and perverse generation we pray lord that you would empower me to communicate effectively we pray lord everything that will be said will be honor your son in jesus name i pray we live in a fallen world we live in a world that is full of pain and suffering We live in a world where the darkness is almost palpable. If we look at at just the history of mankind, we see a history full of moral evils. With the dictator Adolf Hitler, we hear that six million Jews was ruthlessly exterminated. Under Mao Zedong, a, a communist regime leader, 20 to 50 million Chinese was murdered. Under, under Stalin, 42 million people died. And, and we don't just see evil when we look in times past, but just in our very present day, if you just turn on the news, what do you see? We, we see, when we turn on the news, that Russia has invaded Ukraine. Never before we've seen an invasion like this since the, like Pastor Bob was saying, since the Second World War. We see innocent lives being taken, innocent civilians being separated from their loved ones, pain and suffering. But when we turn on the news and change the channel, look at the local news, 
We, uh, we see just as much evil happening. We see in our inner cities, the crime rate is up. We see a robbery, theft, uh, abuse, and torture of the worst kind. N not only does evil happen out there, but there's going to come a time in, in our lives where the evil will be aimed right at us. And some of us has experienced evil already. Some of us sitting here would know what it's like to be a victim of abuse. You have, you have faced abuse of the worst kind by wicked men. Some of us know what it is to be betrayed, to be lied to. Some of us know what it is to feel what it is when someone gossips against you, when someone slanders you, when someone hates you and plots against you. And when, when the evil is aimed directly at us, how are we to respond? Are we to respond the way the world does? In, in anger? In, in revenge? Are we just to retreat and just get into the, in our self-pity and wallow in our self-pity? Because we know when we just wallow and sit in our self-pity, self-pity is like a downward spiral. Sooner or later, if we continue to wallow in our self-pity, we'll become depressed. Are, are we to be revengeful, resentful, and bitter? And some of us, because of the trials that we have been through in our lives, because of the circumstances that have hit us, we walk through life very discouraged, hopeless, and and we live in such a defeated way. But Christianity is the truth that changes the way we think and live. And in Romans 12, verses 14 to 21, the, the Apostle Paul gives us God's prescription how to overcome the evil that is aimed at us. In the beginning of the chapter, the Apostle Paul, in verses 1 to 2, he reminds us that our minds should be renewed by the Word of God instead of being conformed to the pattern of this world. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase of the Bible, he says, don't allow the world to press you into its mold. See, the way of the world is when someone does evil to you, what do you do? You do evil right back to them. And that's not just the way of the world, that's, that's our sinful nature. You ask a young child, you know, why did you hit your brother? You know what the answer is going to be. Because he hit me first. In the, in the same way, oftentimes when you hear a person let's abuse his wife and kids and you ask, why did you abuse your kids? We won't be surprised to hear that that person was probably abused when they were a child. And the world lives by this victim mentality. That, and they use this victim mentality to rationalize their sin, to justify their sin, to blame shift their sin. But God doesn't just want us to stay in that victim mentality. He wants us, the word of God and Christ to so control us that, that it changes the way we live. And some of us have, have, have experienced horrifying things. Some of us are real victims of, of horrifying things that we have experienced in the hands of evil people. So, but we must be, be like Joseph. What did Joseph do? Joseph was betrayed by his own blood. He was hated by his very brothers. He was thrown into a ditch and left there to die. He was sold into slavery and, and 
Potiphar's wife lied on him. He had every reason in the world to just be a cynical, angry, revengeful person. But instead, what did he do? He centered his thoughts upon God and his sovereignty instead of the problems and the hardship and trials that he faced. What did he tell his brothers in Genesis 50:20? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So when evil is done to us, that evil should not so overcome us and control us and make us an evil person. We shouldn't respond to sin with more sin, but we ought to respond to evil with good. And the, the practical Christianity we see in Romans 12, it flows from the theology that Paul lays out for us in Romans 1 to 11. And in Romans 1 to 11 is Paul's systematic theology. If you look at Romans 1 through 11, he covers everything from the doctrine of hamartiology to soteriology. Everything is covered there. And as Paul expounds to us the great and glorious truths of the Christian life, he comes to chapter 12 and he says, this is how we ought to live as God's people. And, and, and what we see in Romans 12 is that the Christian life is not the way of the world. This is the Christ life. That's why the Romans was addressed to Christians. In Romans 1.7, it says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Romans 12 is not hard to live. It's impossible to live. The only way you can live Romans 12, if you're born again, you have the indwelling spirit, if you're empowered by the grace of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, here in Romans 12, shows us how we ought to relate to one another in the church, how we ought to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But not only to our brothers and sisters in Christ, the Apostle sh shows us how to relate to the people in the world, how to even relate to those who persecute us. And that brings us to verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them. See, the Apostle Paul doesn't bring us some new teaching. This is exactly what Jesus Christ has taught us. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. In the flesh, when someone persecutes us, what would be our most natural reaction? To, to curse them, to wish evil upon them, to find and plot some way we can get even and get our revenge from them. But here, Paul says, bless. When Paul says to bless those who persecute us, he doesn't mean it in the, in the modern sense of what we often think of blessing. When we often, in the modern way of the concept of blessing, we think of just in material terms. In terms of having a nicer house, a, a, a bigger car, uh, a, a job that pays you more. Paul here is not saying pray that those who persecute you accumulate more material items, but he is saying that pray for those who persecute you, that they might know something that's greater than any material thing they can ever have, which is Christ. That they will come to know the gospel that we proclaim. And that's what happened with Stephen. You remember in Acts when Stephen, the first martyr, was being stoned to death. There, instead of, here, stones being lobbed at him. 
He had every reason to be angry. He had every reason to be cynical and hate every single person there. And we know Paul was in the midst. But not what came out of him was not bitterness, but love. In love, he says, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And the early church father, Augustine, said the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. What an amazing miracle. There, as, 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 as Stephen was dying, God answered Stephen's prayer by raising up Paul, who would become the greatest theologian in the history of the church, the greatest missionary. The, the, the early church faced persecution. Jesus told us in John 15, 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also persecuted you. Christ has follow, promised his followers that we would be persecuted. And this letter was written to the church in Rome. And it was written in a time where there was not such a far-reaching persecution. But later on, there was great persecution and many Christians were slaughtered in great numbers. And you might be glad thinking, okay, I'm happy that persecution like this doesn't happen today like it did in the first century. But if you read the voice of the martyrs, you'll see that there are communist regimes, governments throughout the world that unless you give your allegiance to the government and no one else, they will kill you. There are uh, Islamic countries under Sharia law that if you convert to Christianity, they will kill you. There are countries like China, North Korea, northern Nigeria. If you profess to be a Christian, you would, you would instantly be murdered. But in the United States, we've been blessed to not face so much physical violence and persecution for our faith. But we, what we might face here in the United States is verbal assaults and verbal persecution. And according to Scripture, Verbal persecution is persecution nonetheless. Jesus said in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Uh, I will never forget the date of June 25th, 2018, because that was the day, that was my birthday, and that was the day I almost spent a day in jail for, on my birthday. I, me and a couple of uh, f friends, we traveled to uh, England to preach the gospel. As I, we was in the city of Bath, England, we was open-air preaching, and we built up a crowd. And in that crowd, as we was preaching the gospel for maybe a half an hour, an hour, there was a couple of people in the crowd, they didn't like us being there and preaching the gospel. So they went to the police and lied about us. They said that we were preaching racism. So then the police came to us and they gave us a 15-minute dispersal. They said, unless you disperse from this city within 15 minutes, you'll be arrested. So we came together, we decided, I told the team, Melissa, I don't want to get arrested. <laughs> so they, they decided to, you know, let's just go to the next city and preach. Because my friends were all ready to go to jail. So they listened to me and we went to the next city and we kept on preaching. But it just goes to show you that when you take your faith to the public square, that you can be slandered 
And we live in a, such a culture now that for being a Christian, people would lie and slander you and call you a homophobe, a bigot, a racist. And when, when the world, when you get the hatred of the world and the ridicule, the scorn the, for your devotion to Jesus Christ, that is persecution. And we ought to respond with prayers. We should respond wishing good upon those who try to do evil to us. Not only we, we, we see that we are to respond to persecution, but we are to respond with sympathy to those, all those who are around us that are broken, to those who are around us that are hurting. If you have your Bibles, look, look at verse 15. Romans 12, 15, it says, the Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Here is a command that the Apostle Paul gives, and this cannot be fulfilled on Zoom Church. This command cannot be fulfilled in a, in a, by the monk in the monastery. This, this command demands that we uh, get down and rub shoulder to shoulder with the saints. It, it demands that we fellowship with one another. Because how can I rejoice with you? How can I weep with you if I don't know what is on your heart that causing you to weep? What is, what is going on in your life that is causing you to rejoice? So this, this command re requires that we often come out of our comfort zones. Because oftentimes our, our sinful nature is bent to be uh, self-centered. But this requires you to love your neighbor. This requires you to be other-centered. So we see this command to rejoice with those who rejoice. And this command... To rejoice with those who rejoice doesn't mean that we rejoice over every action. We don't rejoice with the, 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 the young woman that is rejoicing over her abortion. We don't rejoice over that person that's rejoicing over their immorality. We rejoice with, over what God's word says is good. Amen. We rejoice at the birth of a, of a new child. We rejoice at a young couple in love getting married. We rejoice over someone that is sick and is recovering from their health. And oftentimes this command is not very easy to keep because it, oftentimes in our heart we are full of envy and jealousy and that hinders us from rejoicing at the good of others. And not only are we to rejoice with those who rejoice, the Bible says we ought to weep with those who weep. And this, this, the Bible is telling us we ought to be sympathized with those around us. The, the word sympathy there means to suffer with. And it comes from the Latin, which means to have compassion. There are people around us that are hurting, broken, and our hearts shouldn't be calloused and insensitive. How will we respond when we hear the Russian invasion in Ukraine? We ought to weep with those who weep. Uh, even though, whether it's believers or unbelievers that are losing their lives, losing uh, their families are being torn apart, we ought to weep knowing that precious people made in the image of God is suffering and, and, and in pain, and our hearts should move with compassion. Sometimes we are so wrapped up in me, myself, and I that we fail to obey. We have a lack of love for our neighbor. 
And this, this command requires hard work because it, it requires that we cultivate relationships around us. It, it requires that we sometimes get out of our home and fellowship with somebody. And we see that Jesus, when he was at the tomb of Lazarus, when he seen the pain of all around him of losing Lazarus, Jesus didn't just stay there like a stoic. He, he, but he, his heart moved and he, the Bible says, the, the, the shortest verse in the Bible in John 11, Jesus wept. And, and in the Greek, that the word Jesus wept is krazo, which means with loud cries, he wept. And we see that love enters into the suffering of the others. And this, this command, weep with those who weep. Those modern adherents of the social justice movement would take this verse, weep with those who weep, and they would twist it out of its context to mean that we shouldn't analyze the facts, we shouldn't view things objectively, but instead we should feel our way through problems instead of thinking our way through problems. But that's not what this verse is saying. Because in the very context of weep with those who weep is uh, Romans 12.9. Paul says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, Hold fast to what is good. Love never sets aside the truth. Uh, for those we see that come across our path and those who are weeping over believing uh, of a false narrative, those who are weeping because they believe a lie, we don't weep with them, but instead we speak the truth to them in love. So not only we are to sympathize to those who are hurting, but we should live in harmony. In, in verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lonely. Never be wise in your own sight. When the scripture says, live in harmony, harmony with one another, it's saying we ought to be the, of the same mind with one another. Uh, everyone sitting here, we may come from different ethnicities, different walks of life, we might be different ages, have different professions, but the truth of God that unites us is greater than anything that makes us different from one another. And the second commandment here that Paul talks about is, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Here, when he says, do not be haughty, but, and, but associate with the lowly, this is not a reference to ethnicity, ethnicity but of our social status. Uh, our education, our wealth should not cause us to be so puffed up with pride that we fail to associate with those who may not have what we have. And, and, and the Christian worldview teaches us that we ought to treat every single person with value, dignity, and respect from the unborn child in the mo uh, pregnant mother's womb to the, to, to the celebrities that's walking down Soho in New York City. Jesus cared for those who are not important in the eyes of this world. He, he cared for the outcasts, the nobodies of societies. He went to the, to the, the prostitutes. He went to the, the, those who are rejected, the lepers of societies, those people that nobody would want to be found associated with, the tax collectors. So, and out of all people, we should be the, Christians should be the most willing to associate with the lonely because that's exactly what we were before Christ. Before Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. 
It doesn't get any more low than that. We, we were foreigners to the promises of God. We were not of noble birth. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29, Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were no, of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in his presence, in the presence of God. The third commandment we see is that we ought never to be wise in our own sight. In verse 3, the Paul says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think yourself with a sober judgment. Here, wisdom is not the problem, because elsewhere in the Bible, in James 1, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, he, he ought to ask God, and God will give liberally to those who ask. But here, the, the, we learn that the wisdom of God should humble us. It, oftentimes, in our sinful nature, causes us to be so prideful. We're unwilling to learn from others. We're an un, unwilling to take instruction, unwilling to heed counsel. And this is what the Bible says, do not be wise in your own sight. Just think about it. In the Garden of Eden, before the fall, before uh, the uh, sin affected man's nature in every way, his mind, his heart, Adam and Eve needed counsel. Adam and Eve needed instruction. Adam and Eve needed God's word to live in God's world. And during the fall, Adam and Eve thought they were wise in their own eyes. They didn't heed the counsel of God. Instead, they heeded, they, they, they failed to heed God's counsel. And they, humanity fell into sin. And if Adam and Eve needed instruction and counsel before the fall, how much more now, after the fall, do we need the instruction, counsel found in God's word? So, uh, uh, before we go on to the next verse, uh, oftentimes when the evil is aimed at us, how are we to respond? Are we to just uh, go with our natural emotion and reflex? Should we retaliate, hit the person, plan for that person's uh, demise? In verse 17, the Apostle Paul talks about retaliation. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. As Christians, we ought to not to live by our natural reflex. We ought not to live by our emotions and feelings. But we ought to live by obedience. And here, the Bible says we ought to never repay evil for evil. God forbids retaliation. Some people use this verse to teach that uh, pacifism, that we ought to not go into war. But the problem with that is that verse 17 is not addressed to the government. It's addressed to personal retaliation. The uh, next chapter, verse 13, is addressed to the government. In Romans 13.4, it, it says, It is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it is not... Bear the, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one 
who practices evil. So God has delegated authority to the government to execute justice. And, and, and that we should take comfort in that. We should take comfort in the sovereignty of our God. Amen. Knowing that God is not only sovereign over the present, but He is sovereign over and He governs the future as well. And because we know that God sovereigns the future and the present, when someone does us wrong, we don't have to take vengeance into our own hands. We can trust God. So when a believer does you wrong, that believer, a genuine born-again Christian, will not face the wrath of God. Why is that? Because Jesus, upon that cross, absorbed every drop of God's wrath for His people, so that now, because of what Christ finished work on the cross, not one drop of wrath touches us as His people. And, and that's the good news of the gospel. But if, if an unbeliever does you wrong and stays in that unrepentant state, God is a good father, and he will come in fatherly discipline. And, and that believer will either have temporal consequences on this earth, or he may even face judicial consequences of being in a court of law. But if an unbeliever does you wrong, not only may he not face, he may face temporal consequences, judicial consequences, but even if he escapes the consequences on this li- in this life, be sure of this, that he will not escape the justice of God. Because the justice of God never fails. When he stands before God, he might have thought he got away with this crime all his whole life. But the Bible says on that day when he stands before him, the Bible says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all will stand naked and bare before the eyes of him we must give an account. So nothing will escape God's omniscient gaze on the day of judgment. So in verse 18, uh, the Apostle Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, There are times, can we always be peaceable with all men? There are times where it's not possible. You do everything in your power to forgive the person. You say, I forgive you. But that person might, you know, buckle down and says, I'm not forgiving you. In that case, it's hard to reconcile that relationship. So it says, but we ought to do everything in our power to reconcile that relationship. The Bible says, as far as it depends upon you, pursue peace with all men. As Christians, we shouldn't be troublemakers, but we should be peacemakers. We, we should, as husbands, we should lead the peace in our homes. We should not be troublemakers and difficult at work. We shouldn't uh, be divisive in church and sow seeds of discord. We ought to, because if we fail to live peaceably with those on the outside and those inside the church, we we ultimately bring a shame and reproach upon the name of Christ and His church. In verse 19, it says, Don't take vengeance into your own hands, Paul says. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
If you have never experienced that feeling of bitterness, of anger, or retaliation, you probably have never had someone hurt you or do something evil to you or mistreated you. Because oftentimes that's that first reflex that often comes is that to try to get even. And here, it, the God's word says we are to never avenge. It, it's, God has never given us that authority to avenge. That's God's jurisdiction. And he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And here, oftentimes when we think of comfort, we think of doctrines like the sovereignty and love. But here, the, the attribute of God's justice is seen as a comfort to God's people. We, whenever we fail, whenever we take revenge, what we're, what we're really saying is you don't believe in the justice of God. We fail. It's unbelief. Because if we really believe that God is just, we don't have to be in control and take justice into our own hands. Because we know that God is able to right every wrong that is done to us, either through the judicial system and through the temporary providences of life or in the life to come. He can, uh, his justice is perfect. Uh, ultimately, in, in God's world, no evil will go unpunished. Either the evil will be punished upon Jesus Christ for sinners or if they reject the gift of Christ they will punish, be punished in eternity in hell the Bible says there is coming a day where Christ is going to come in flaming fires with his angels taking vengeance on those who do not know God and obey the gospel and here we see that vengeance if you are carrying out vengeance you're in rebellion because the, this is something that scriptures clearly forbid that we pursue vengeance. Because vengeance is not our job, it's God's job. The, the battle is the Lord's. Our job is to love our neighbor, to overcome evil with good. It, it, the, the worldview of secularism it, it rejects the concept of the afterlife, they reject the concept of justice of God. And because of that, the secularist only lives for the here and now. So secularism brought to his logical conclusion, when evil and hurt is done upon you, it only makes sense to go and retaliate because you only live for this life. But, but, but Christianity, we know that we believe in the justice of God, that His justice is perfect, that God is righteous. So because of this, we can forbear the greatest evil, we, we, can, we can be peacemakers knowing that one day God who is more powerful can execute justice. And, and so we don't have to bring vengeance into our own hands. In verse 20, uh, uh, Paul shows us how we can meet the needs of our enemies. Uh, in Romans 12.20, the Apostle Paul says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Uh, what is an enemy? Uh, we, we see in the, the book of Psalms, an enemy is someone that, that doesn't wish for your good. He hates you. He, he plots against you. Uh, he slanders you. If he could, he can trap you. Ultimately, he wants to kill you. And here is a command of God that is one of the most difficult commands in the Bible to, to, to feed and to give your enemy something to drink. He, God is calling us to, to, to love, 
those who are impossible to love, to love the unlovable. And how do you do good to your enemies? Once again, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Here, God is not telling us to do random acts of kindness. But here, he's telling us to practice strategic kindness. To know your enemy's needs and try to meet them. To, because if we don't plan this, it probably will never happen. And, and Jesus sets for us the ultimate example of loving our enemies. How did Jesus love his enemies? Jesus served his enemies. In Acts 10.38, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil because God was with them. Here, here was Jesus who was walking down the dusty shores of Galilee, healing those who are oppressed by demons, healing those, feeding those who are hungry and thirsty. He was uh, healing the leper, not only that, he taught the words of life to those he knew would, would uh, reject him, those who he knew would betray him, and those who he knew would later lead to his death. Not only did Christ serve his enemies, Christ prayed for his enemies. The, the cross of Christ gives us a glimpse to the Savior's heart. Jesus Christ, upon that cross, he... He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Upon that cross, there, in his heart, there was not an ounce of bitterness. Upon that cross, there was not a sigh of resent. His hands didn't gesture emotion of retaliation. But what, what oozed out of him was love. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not, not only did Jesus serve his enemies, pray for his enemies, but Christ died for his enemies. In Romans, we are told that Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for people like the Apostle Paul, who were trying to destroy the very people that Christ redeemed with his precious blood. And Christ redeemed people like us, people like us who, in our hearts, for most of our unregenerate life, we are hearts full of hate, bitterness, revenge, Christ died for us upon Calvary's cross that we might be with him forever. To conclude, in verse 20, we see that Paul says, Feed our enemy when he is hungry, give your enemy something to drink. When he is thirsty, and by doing so, we heap burning coals on his head. Now, now what does that mean? To heap burning coals on someone's head. This was an ancient Egyptian custom. In ancient Egypt, when someone wanted to show public remorse, what they'll do is take coals, put it in a pot, uh, heat it up, and put it on his head and go in the public. And that, sh that showed people that, that shame and remorse they had, that guilt they had for the wrong they had done. When we genuinely love our enemies and do good to them, our enemy would be shamed for the hatred they had for us. In Psalm 140.10, it says, Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into the deep pits, that they rise not up again. That shame and guilt that the enemy feels when we do good to him ought to uh, humble him and lead him to repentance and lead him to Christ. But if they continue to stiffen their neck and reject Christ, 
the same coals, what they, what they would, what, what would happen is that the enemy will store up wrath for the day of wrath unless they repent. In verse 21, the last verse in this chapter, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not over, be overcome by evil means do not let the evil that is done to you so overwhelm you that you respond in an evil way. I heard someone once say, bitterness is like drinking poison wishing the other person would die. Responding evil with evil is the method of the world. And if we respond in this way, ultimately we would diminish and bring in glory to God. We will bring a reproach upon Christ's holy, precious name. And so we ought, as we've been saved by grace, what, ought, what people are we ought to be? We should be gracious people, not people full of anger and hate and murder. And the greatest example of overcoming evil with good is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Charles Bridges, in his excellent commentary on Proverbs, he says, We are disciples of the one who died for his enemies. That's the greatness of Christ's love, that he was willing to lay down his life that his enemies might be saved. All throughout Christ's life, people hurt him, they rejected him, they, they betrayed him, but he loved people to the very end. And that's what love does. When, when, when you decide that you're going to love, you open yourself to be hurt. And, and when you be hurt, it, it's not just to go back into your cocoon and not love anymore. It, you continue to love. And you continue to get hurt. And you go back to Romans 12 for help. <laughs> he, and this is a, a powerful uh, chapter even for marriage, for those who are married. And when, because no one can hurt you more than the person that is closest to you. And if, you have, if you're married, no one is more closer to you than your spouse. And this chapter forbids us that we, when, when, when we're hurt by our spouses, to sit there and give the silent treatment and stonewall. Because we cannot stonewall. What is physical murder? Physical murder is saying, I don't like you. I don't want you to be here anymore, so I'm going to kill you. Uh, stonewalling someone, giving someone the silent treatment, you're saying, uh, I don't like you. I don't want you to be anymore, so I'm going to act like you don't exist. And oftentimes in, when marriage, when someone hurts you, the bitterness begins to fester. You begin to be hurt. And you lose that loving feelings you once had when you first got married. When, when you first was according, you lose all those loving feelings. And what we ought to do is not go with those feelings we have. Because if we live by our feelings, what we're going to do? We're not going to cook for our spouses. We're not going to serve our spouse. We're not going to go and sleep with our spouse. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to even want to be in the same room with our spouse. But we must go against our feelings and live by obedience. We must continue to cook for your spouse, continue to serve your spouse, continue to do random acts of kindness to your spouse. And once you do that, 
those, those loving feelings that went away will begin to come back. You begin to love your spouse once again, that those loving feelings that you lost will begin to come back. So even not only, so in marriage, this is a powerful counseling weapon, overcoming evil with good. Not only in our personal family life, but also in the world. As the church of Jesus Christ, God has commissioned us, the Great Commission. It's the task of the local church to go in, out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and to make disciples. So as we take this Great Commission and we go out into the world, we're going to face the ridicule of the world, we're going to face the hate of the world, but we must remember Jesus Christ is worthy of every reproach. He is worthy of every persecution. He is worthy of every slander. Jesus Christ is worthy of losing the popularity and approval of this world. Jesus Christ is even worthy of martyrdom. The Apostle Paul, uh, he's the one, uh, the Apostle Thomas, he's the one that says, I won't believe unless I see his hands and feet. And he saw the resurrected Christ in John 20, 28. He says, my Lord and my God, what would cause this first century Orthodox Jew to leave the comforts and safety of Israel and go all the way to do mission work to savages in India? Tradition tells us that he went all the way to India those who are, hate him and enemies of the gospel, he planted churches there, and ultimately he was speared to death by tribal people. He was a follower of the one who died for his enemies. The tradition tells us Peter was crucified upside down under the reign of Nero. Peter was a follower of the one who died for his enemies. Paul, tradition tells us, was beheaded. Paul was a follower of the one who died for his enemies. In, in modern church history, Jim Elliot, he, he went with a group of four other missionaries to the Aka Indians in Ecuador. There, as he going to these unreached uh, Amazonian men appeared as they was going in the waters. And they came, came out of nowhere out of the uh, forest with their spears. And soon as they tried to go reach these Amazonian men, these Aka Indians for Christ, they sent spears and killed them instantly. And each one of these men had wives back in the, the island. And when their wives heard these news, they were devastated. They were hurt. But instead of this hurt festering and creating bitterness and retaliation and hatred, what did they do? They allowed the love of Christ to overwhelm them. They allowed the forgiveness of God to change them. And they, what they did was they went and decided to go these, uh, some of the missionary wives, they decided to go back to the same Aka Indian tribe and minister and live amongst them. And some of the men, very men who killed the missionaries, after seeing the missionary wives' testimony and forgiveness and hearing the gospel, these very same men that the missionaries couldn't reach, their wives through overcoming evil with good reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and this is a truth, Romans 12, if we come to the reality of this 12, we get convicted of sin because we realize that we have failed. Even as Christians, we have failed to live Romans 12. Oftentimes when someone does hurt us, uh, what do we do? We respond in retaliation, we respond in bitterness, we respond in anger. Uh, 
What are we ought to do if we fail to keep Romans 12? We ought to come boldly to the throne of grace. If you need help keeping Romans 12, which is impossible to live, you must come boldly to the throne of grace. The Bible says in Hebrews, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and help for your time of need. Just going to bow down with a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this evening to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, you can create in us authentic Christianity. Uh, there are many people out there that hurt us. We know, Lord, is uh, relationships are messy. Relationships are difficult. It's easier to throw in the towel than to love. It's easier to take revenge than to overcome evil with good. It's easier to fester in bitterness instead of forgiving. Lord, we pray, Lord, that your grace might teach us what it is to deny ungodliness, that your grace would help us so many ungodliness is all around us we don't need another example of ungodliness Lord we pray Lord you will raise up to be godly respond in a godly way Lord uh, give us the grace Lord to overcome evil with good we pray Lord as a church you conform us to the image of your son in Jesus name I pray